Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book up with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading a tragically heartrending novel, The Push by Ashley Ordrain. I read these chapters over two days, and I was definitely in the mood. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, what an emotional roller coaster. <sighs> I'm sure my hormones are not helping, but oh. yikes. <laughs> I have a premonition that this is going to be quite an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last week, we divulged our own stories of when we were not believed, how some of us have handled arguments with our significant others in a not-so-successful way, <laughs> and sadly, how common miscarriages are. Ems also brought our attention to the similarities between this book and We Need to Talk About Kevin, sparking mm -hmm. an intriguing combo of differentiating between hopes and expectations, thanks to our future in-house author, Thea Brandy. Oh, thank you. Thea <laughs> Brandy. Now, what does our in-house bartender have in store for us? He's got a good one. Mm. Let's get it. The name of this cocktail makes me just as sad as this week's chapters did, though, I have to say. <laughs> oh. Ricardo has chosen a cocktail for today called Morning Doves. Morning spelled with a U as in grieving now this drink makes me sad. <laughs> I know. I well, the chapters are sad, I so know. the drink is here to just help us talk about this. For those of you that are like, I don't even need a drink to drown my sorrows. We have a mocktail that will rejuvenate your spirits with very Ooh. similar ingredients to our cocktail. Mami Mariana. <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners who will be partaking in this mocktail version what they will be drinking? Well, Tia Emma, <laughs> they <laughs> and I will be sipping on Paloma, the Virgin. Ooh, skanky Paloma. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to Are These Books Drunk for the full recipe. Yeah. And as for you lushes out there, let's yeah. bring our bartender in here to share the recipe for this morning dove. Let's Aye. welcome our lovely, dovely bartender, <laughs> uh. Ricardo. Uh. Ricardo. Ricardo. <laughs> Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. Hola. Hi. How are you? Amazing. Great. Good, good. So ready for for a nice cocktail with a terrible name? Yes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the cocktail of today is like a morning dove. So for the cocktail of today, we're going to need a lot of ingredients. The first one is the most important brandy, right? That is an ounce and a half of tequila reposado. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah! So, we're gonna use Angostura bitter, but at this time, for this cocktail, we are not gonna go for dashes of Angostura bitter. So in this cocktail, Angostura is a pretty important part of the uh, taste profile, and we're gonna go for a half of an ounce of Angostura bitter, three quarter of an ounce of lemon juice, uh, half of an ounce of grapefruit juice, half of an ounce of maple syrup, and a quarter of an Whoa. ounce of simple syrup. I'm gonna say the simple syrup is very optional. Mm. 
because、mm. the maple syrup is enough. It's already sweet. <laughs> yeah. A lot. Yeah. So I think that the cocktail is like balanced already without the simple syrup. And again, a quarter of an ounce, it's not a huge quantity, but I would definitely be like, yeah, if you want an extra sweet, go for the simple syrup. Otherwise, go for it.、Uh, you know what? I have to say, I made it exactly to the recipe, and I'm not usually one who likes stuff super sweet,、right. but I don't think it is as it, is. I think that the good. Thing is, having half of an ounce of Angostura bitter.、Mm. Angostura bitter is like very bitter. So yeah, it counterbalances a lot of the sweetness. Unfortunately, I didn't have grapefruit in my house. So、oh. I used,、uh, I know. So、oh, no. I used something that Emma bought that is, that I'm not going to say the brand, but it's not particularly natural.、Oh. And、oh, it has a lot、no. of <laughs> added sugar. So that's why we'll I probably. Give her hell, Ricardo. Don't <laughs> <Yeah> . you worry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> She's going to hear it from us. So, probably that's the reason why I was like, yeah, I don't need extra sugar for this.、Uh, But、uh, I really like this cocktail. It's intense. It, so, I love it. It sounds delicious. I'm very <laughs>、so、jealous、good. right now. <laughs> You know that, Mariana, after all of this, we're gonna go for a full episode where you have to all drink of them. All, all the cocktails the that、drinks. you didn't have the chance to. I, okay, it's a deal. Only once. It's、Only、perfect. Once. Okay. And then、perfect. both me and my baby will be like, what? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's gonna be fun, though. It's like an interesting power hour. Oh my、like、god. A cocktail、oh, yeah. a minute. A cocktail、yeah. a minute. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> If anybody can handle that challenge, Mariana、yeah. can. It's Mariana.、Oh. Yeah, I don't know about that anymore. <laughs> And unfortunately, it, it wasn't on purpose, but like, since you are stopped. Having like the real cocktails and you're having mocktails, we're having a lot of cocktails. A with lot of I know. <laughs> I know. I don't, I, I think this was done on purpose, honestly. It's, on purpose. it's too、I、much、promise. of a coincidence. <laughs> But I'm happy that you liked it, guys. So、oh. enjoy, enjoy your morning, Dom, ladies, and a la vostra salute. We'll do. Thanks. Gracias, Ricardo. Ciao, As、ladies. always, bye. Bye. Ciao. All right, women. Cheers. Salute. The saddest cheers I've ever said. <laughs> It's sad until you taste it. This drink is so good. Yeah, right? I've got to say, it might be my favorite cocktail we've ever had、I、on the podcast. I do not like you right now, Brandy, <laughs> for saying that. It's so delicious. No, but Mariana, your Paloma the Virgin looks very enticing. It's really refreshing. This is really good. I got to say that I do drink these quite often as of late the sparkling the water、cocktail? with.、Mm-hmm. The sparkling、Ooh. water with. Grapefruit juice, fresh squeezed grapefruit juice, and it's,、oh. it is really so, so, so refreshing. It's really yeah.、Yummy. You even yeah. got a、it's、little like, garnish on、color. there. I did. What do you got? Is that grapefruit? It's、deal? a grapefruit. Yeah. Oh, you're so fancy. Yeah. I'm loving it. Well, I'm sorry to burst y'all's bubble, but <laughs> this week, after Blythe tries unsuccessfully to cope with Sam's death, Fox suggests that she go away to a wellness center where she can get some help. She comes back and tries to resume life as normal. 
After a brief stint of time when it seems like she and Fox might actually be able to heal, she begins to notice a change in his behavior towards her. One day, he brings home a resignation letter he'd given to his boss without even discussing it with her first, though she later discovers he was actually fired after an incident. Months after Blythe first discovers his ongoing secret affair, she finally asks Fox to leave and agrees to share custody of Violet. He never tells Blythe anything about the other woman, preferring to keep a distance, though Violet divulges that there's something about the other woman that Blythe should know. Curiosity gets the better of her, and she finally disguises herself in a plot to meet the woman, Gemma. Mm -hmm. Remember? Fox's old assistant, Mm -hmm. who she finally discovers is actually the mother of Fox's five-month-old son. In the past, Etta commits suicide, hanging herself from a tree, and a grown-up Cecilia leaves Blythe and her father behind, finally choosing to be with the man she'd presumably been having an affair with all along. I'm not ready. Whoa! Yeah, double whoa. I don't think there's ever been an episode that I haven't wanted to record more than this one. (laughs) Hmm. I don't blame you. I mean, <laughs> my chest, I my heart was just heavy all week yeah. taking in her story. She's literally lost everything. everything. And unlike Fox, who's just picked up and moved on, like mm. she can't move on. And on top of all of it, I kept having to remind myself, she continues to carry this burden of knowledge that her own daughter... Violet is responsible not only for Sam's death, but for this other little boy's death, too. Mm-hmm. How can we uh, cope with all of that? I don't know. I don't know if it's possible. It also was weirdly a week where Violet was such an angel. No, she was I don't know about that. She didn't kill anybody. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, I mean, that if that's that what far. constitutes being an angel, then that's I'm an the angel every day. That's the new bar for Violet. That's uh, the new bar for her. Did you both notice her just teasing at her mom all the time? Like, mm. looking at her mom being mm. like, aren't you seeing me do this? Like, mm. when they went to the mm. beach for that weekend yes. escape with the other boy. Like, there yes. was all this taunting and teasing that was happening all throughout these chapters. Especially about Gemma. Like, she I was going to say. Oh, right. Not to mention all of the like, you don't you want to know about this woman that uh-huh. that he left you for? Uh huh. That's all you. she would say. Then she wouldn't reveal anything. And else. then she wouldn't reveal the things she was hinting at. Yeah, that's why I, I think I mentioned it last week. But I have I'm, I'm really struggling with myself because I feel like it's a really evil thing to say that a child is evil. Mm. But I am having a really hard time feeling empathetic for this girl. Like I yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I've never felt that way about a child before, but ugh, I feel like there's evil in that girl. Yeah, there's definitely something Again, I'm hesitant because I feel like we're dealing with an unreliable narrator to some degree. Do you still feel know. that? I I only feel that in the sense that we're only hearing from her. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she's completely inventing this in her head, but we're not getting the complete story here. So a part of me does wonder, like, these little things that Violet is saying, 
she's definitely, you know, Blythe is definitely receiving them in a certain way. But is Violet actually, is that actually her intent? Like, she's such a little kid. Can she actually intentionally be saying these things to hurt her? Or in the way that little kids do, is she just mindlessly saying stuff? Right. That's actually deeply hurtful. Mm-hmm. I do have to agree, Brandy, because last episode, I really, I had a hard time thinking of Blythe as an unreliable narrator because of all the trauma that she had suffered. And now we mm-hmm. get to explore more of that trauma during these chapters. Oh, my goodness. Which was really hard to take in, as we've yeah. already said. But during these chapters, I started to question Blythe more. Interesting. Which led huh. me to also think. Was the trauma so much of her not being able to save her own child that that is what prompted her to then accuse or blame her other child that she didn't like as much? And that's really the reality. Now she's created the story for herself because she just, the trauma is so much to bear. Like how much can we blame her with everything that she's been through for her to kind of switch her history on us? Right. Yeah, I don't know. And she not only has she been through a lot, obviously, with her mom, who we find out left her in favor in favor of an affair. But now her husband has left Left her her. also in favor of an affair. And it's now the second time Mm -hmm. that someone's chosen an affair over her. And she doesn't fully discover this affair until until well after Sam has died. But I think parts of her knew, you know, we knew that this affair was going on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, when he didn't want to have sex with her, when she wanted to conceive the second baby, I was already like, there's something going going on on here. Something's going on. Yeah. And he was definitely cheating while she was uh, still breastfeeding Sam. Like there was definitely a scene where she's breastfeeding and he's running off at, in, in the evening to go to very a well dressed. work thing. Mm-hmm. Right, very well dressed. So, yeah. It occurred to me for the first time this week that it's interesting that as our narrator, she is speaking to her husband. Everything is mm-hmm. posed to you and that you is always her, right. husband. her husband. And I realized, like, I just think it's interesting because, yes, the marriage is a huge aspect of her trauma and of mm-hmm. uh, it's a big cause of her her hurt and her anger. But it seems to me that the primary hurt is being a mom. And that yeah. you could kind of like excavate him out of the story and it would still be terrible. And so I think it's interesting that the author, Ashley, mm-hmm. has chosen our author to primarily make the story about her relationship with her husband because it's posed towards him. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Like it feels like it's it's giving him more importance than I think is even – this week anyway, all of my pain was as her – from the eyes of her being a mom that has lost a baby. Mm-hmm. With you saying that, that just makes me think. Talking directly to her husband through her storytelling of her experience or what she thinks her experience experience was, it's a way to kind of defend herself because she's feeling so guilty that she wasn't capable of being the best mom or the mom that he thought she could be. So I think in a way... 
that's why she's talking directly to him because he was the one that put all this pressure on her to be the mom that she ultimately never thought she could be because Mm -hmm. of her own upbringing, having a, a grandmother that killed herself because she couldn't handle being a mom, being whatever, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons why she ended up committing suicide and then her own mom abandoning her. So she never had that unconditional love of a mother. She never had that nurturing aspect from her own mom and own grandmother to be able to then do the same with her own children. Yeah, we did bring that up in the first episode. I think I posed that question of, do you think that she wanted to be a mom or she was only doing it because of him? So I think you're right. If if maybe she didn't even ever want this, I can imagine how that would cause extreme bitterness and resentment towards him because now the reason that she's feeling all all this pain is because she she went through with the thing she didn't even really want from the beginning and yeah. then she fell in love with being a mom to one of them sadly mm-hmm. and then that's the one she lost mm-hmm. and then she lost her partner in that as well so we'll see i think sense. i have a little bit of a different take on it because i think obviously In this week's chapters, the source of her pain is the loss of baby Sam. Mm -hmm. But I think the reason that she might be speaking to her husband or to her ex-husband in this story, you know, why this is narrated to him is because I think the very first moment of pain for her, I think the source of all of this pain was the moment that he didn't believe her. When she said there's something different about this baby, Mm. about Violet, because I think we learn very quickly when she when she even just starts to crave Sam before she's even pregnant with Sam. We learn that Blythe is actually a very good mom. She's a very capable mom. She's very adoring of Sam. Mm -hmm. There was just something different about this other baby that she didn't connect to. Mm -hmm. And Fox would not fucking hear it. And Mm -hmm. I think that was the moment that they were doomed when he chose to not believe her Mm. for for no good reason other than he looked at her past and said, oh, I was right about you. Yeah. Right. Like I I should have known, essentially. She's in that in that regard. She's also defending herself being like this. This is all the evidence behind this is all Why the evidence and you better fucking watch out because you've got it. You've got two now you kids have to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's in the house with them. But also, like, what do you do from his perspective if you don't see what she sees? I mean, yes, obviously believe her. But then what are you supposed to do? You know, if you're not getting any of that, where do you go from there? You take that fucking kid to therapy immediately. Yeah, which really pissed me off that he kept saying that she's the one that needed to, that Blythe was the one that needed to go to therapy. He didn't have to deal with his grief and neither did Violet. He wouldn't even go to couples therapy. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we're fine. You should go. Right. It's all in your head. He was already one foot out the door at that point. I feel like these chapters were him trying to figure out how to leave her. While she was grieving. You know what I mean? I feel like he was just trying to negotiate with himself. He was finding it out. Yeah. When is it okay for me to leave since she's in such a terrible state? And how can I get her better so that I can leave? (sighs) Maybe that's me being hard on him, but I think his point is out the door a long time ago. 
I mean, let's not even forget the fact that he got his new lover pregnant while he was still with her. Right. Her meaning Blythe. Which is why I think he was already on his way out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, You know, what else were you going to do? You were going to leave your new girlfriend to have a baby, your baby, Mm -hmm. and not be a part of it? Well, this is a perfect segue into a question I wanted to ask both of you, though we're, like, now going to talk of the tail end of these chapters, but might as well, because we're talking about Gemma right now. And this Mm, is when we're finally introduced to Fox's lover (sighs) and the mother of his new son. Yeah. This was heart-wrenching for me to read, how Blythe found out and how she had to disguise herself to be in close proximity to her. Mm. Yeah. To see her, talk to her, smell her, to take her all in. I actually applaud her because I probably would have gone to such lengths as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to know who was capable of making my no longer husband happy. What's so tricky about the reality of this situation is that Blythe can't help but compare herself to this woman. Mm -hmm. How does she differ from her to make her husband, the father of her children, fall soul in love with another woman and be capable of conceiving at least one more offspring? I often have compared myself to other women, which leads me down a dark rabbit hole where I find everything I'm lacking in, in all areas of my life. The pity party ensues, pretty much. (laughs) Do you find yourselves going down a similar path sometimes? And how do you find solace in believing that you are enough? Never. I never compare myself to anyone. (laughs) I am an angel. (laughs) No, yeah, fucking constantly. Like, constantly. (laughs) It's something I'm always working on because as soon as I noticed how detrimental that was for my psyche and well-being, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, we've got to do something about this. Yeah. But that was years ago that I noticed that and I've been saying that and I'm still – I still am failing at that. I still compare myself. Um, and what I think is so interesting about it, as you stated, Mariana, is that it's something that I do only towards other women – And more specifically, other women my age. Mm. I don't think I've really compared myself to a man ever, at least in the in the way that it fucks me up mentally. What as I do to other women? Mm. Yeah, it's like we compare ourselves to those who could be living out the life that we want to be living, or who have the careers that we want or think we could have, or who Mm -hmm. have the looks we want in this moment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the. Maybe the first – no, that's not true. The first time I noticed my comparison that I can remember was in fourth grade with those bully girls that I've talked about before. Yeah. That was kind of the beginning of the end for me. But the next time I really noticed it full fold was here when I first moved to the city um, in holding rooms at auditions. Yep. It's the worst. It's It's like a Petri dish. It is. Setting yourself up for this. It's so easy to look around and see all the other women who are, who you're up against, who are up, who you're up against and who are up against the role that you want. And you start to think the most petty shit, like, oh, their outfit is so right for that role (laughs) or they look the part. I'm sure they'll get it. And you go down this rabbit hole and then you're all fucked in the head. Like, why am I even auditioning when I see these women who I know will get it over me? 
It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So I started showing up later so that I wasn't sitting in the room for too long to give myself time to do that. And I would put on headphones and go inwards and not let myself look around and do that mental dance. I would bring crossword puzzles, like whatever it was that would get my eyes down so that I didn't. I wasn't just sitting there and waiting. Yeah. Um, and the only thing I found that helps me in this comparison game, and it doesn't always work, but it's a step, is just taking several long, deep breaths and focusing on my breathing to quiet the chatter. And I'll repeat yeah. to myself a mantra, usually let it go or it ain't that deep. <laughs> <laughs> or I trust my journey. Mm. Or I'm not giving birth. <laughs> <laughs> At I least I'm not in labor. <laughs> How dare you bring that back? <laughs> yeah. And also just reminding myself what I'm grateful for and telling myself what I do have. It's mm. a lot of talking to myself. Yeah. 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 Mm. It's hard. I mean, I'm on the same page with both of you. Like, of course, I fucking compare myself <laughs> to other people and make myself feel shitty about it. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, I find myself doing it a lot in in the context of, like, where I am in my life yeah. versus where they are in <laughs> their, their life. life. Mm. Or qualities that they have that I wish I had and on and on and on. Like, if I let my brain run away with those thoughts, it'll just pile and pile and pile on mm. until, like, forever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that in the last several years, I've been trying to... I've been trying to practice towards reminding myself that we're all on such singular distinct paths Mm -hmm. and my path is my path it's not your path or her path or Mm -hmm. anyone else's path I can only walk my path Mm -hmm. and I just have to be true to myself and who I am and what's right for me so in moments when I felt the jealousy or the comparison game start to creep in I'll ask myself do I really want that thing that Mm -hmm. so and so has whether it's a quality or a job like whatever it is do I really want that Mm. And the answer will either usually be, will usually either be, sorry, uh, actually, no, I don't fucking want that, <laughs> in which case I can just release that comparison. Or it'll be like, yeah, I actually do want that, in which case I can actually start working towards that thing. I caught myself going down this rabbit hole not that long ago. I was on Facebook, (laughs) of course. Of course, social media. Such a devil. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was an acquaintance of mine who was posting all about like her great friendships and trips she had taken in years past with all of her friends and parties and all this stuff. And I found myself sitting there thinking like, God, I I need more friends. Like, I don't have as many friends as she has. Like, why don't I have more friends? And then I asked myself, but wait, but do you really want that? Mm. And I was sitting there and the God's honest answer that came to me was, no, I don't fucking want that. I'm a loner. I like to be at home. I like to spend time with my husband. I like to read books. Like, unless I'm working or like hanging out with like my very few close, close friends, no, I don't want more people demanding my time. You know what I mean? So it was so easy to just be like, actually, great for her. Mm. She needs that. I don't need that. That's fine for me, too. Um, but a, a different example was I, I was there was an acquaintance of mine who's like, she's very sexy. And like, 
not in a way where she intends to be threatening. It's just a part of who she is. Mm -hmm. Like, she just Mm -hmm. carries that with her everywhere she goes. Mm -hmm. And I found myself feeling jealous. And I asked myself, do you really want that? And a part of me was like, well, I don't want it the way she has it. I wouldn't want to be sexy all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what I found myself feeling jealous about was that she had the power to feel that confident about that. And Mm. I thought... I would love to be able to wield that with such confidence when I want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, so then that's something you can work towards, but it's not something to feel jealous about. It's not something to envy. You have to walk your path. Mm -hmm. You have to walk your truth. Mm -hmm. And that's all you can do. That is all you can do. It's easier said than done. But it's, sure. a, but it's such a great way to look, have that perspective because we mm. are all individual. We are, yeah. we're all special. Yeah. We all have our way and, and our, like just the three of us, the three of us are so different. Oh my God. Yeah. And we each are in the <laughs> same industry where the three mm-hmm. of us are married, but we are living our paths in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we should celebrate. Mm. Yeah. It's hard to some days, you know, especially living in the in the same city, having the same passions, all of that. But it's but it's how you have to see it, I think. Yeah. And like I said, I think it's a practice. I it think is it's a something practice. you have to it is practice. definitely a practice. It's something you said in the beginning, Brandy, um, in terms of looking at other people's journey or path as like a whole entity. I've also, I didn't think about this until you said it, but I realized too, a way that I found in the past couple of years that it's helpful for me in that is if there is someone that is leading that life or doing, taking the steps that I like, that I want, or that I'm interested in, is instead of separating myself from them and just thinking, oh man, I wish I had that, it's connecting with them and saying, hey, I like what you're Mm -hmm. doing. Can you Mm -hmm. talk to me about that? Like, how did you get there? What steps did you take? And oftentimes, I find that to be really rewarding. They'll tell me mm-hmm. what that was, and then I can hear that and be like, ooh, actually, I don't want that. That's yeah. not right. Um, or they'll tell me something, and I'm like, okay, great. Like, now I know what steps to take. I can take those steps. Or once I actually speak to them and make a connection with them, then they'll open up about something that I didn't even know mm-hmm. that wasn't what they were presenting. So yeah. like, yes, I do have this, but it cost me this to do that. Yep. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't yep. asked. Mm-hmm. And so I think making a connection and Smart. becoming part of it as opposed to separating yourselves as two completely different beings, I think right. also can be helpful, which I didn't That's think so about true. until you said that. That's so true. I think the most important thing, too, is and y- you mentioned this, Emma, was is like, just shutting down the part of your brain that's ready to go fucking crazy when it feels that jealousy or that comparison happening because I, you know, your the brain is such a wonderful machine and it's trying to protect us when it yeah. does those things, mm-hmm. but it's a machine yeah. and it will just keep going mm-hmm. unless we find ways to stop it mm-hmm. and use it as a tool Versus letting it run away with us. Yeah. Yeah. And actually gratitude practice, telling yourself what you're grateful for. Actually, Mm -hmm. you can't feel jealous when you're feeling grateful. It's not possible to feel both at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's why a gratitude practice 
shuts all those other things down. It makes them be quiet because yeah. then you, you're chemically, you start to feel different. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you bring that up, Emma, because that's definitely something I've been practicing as a, as of late. Mm. To be grateful for everything mm-hmm. that I do have, as opposed to like what we talked last week that Brandy brought up, expecting more from yourself. Because what you are is enough. And what you have done is enough. Yes, you may want more, but you're working towards it. Yeah. And I think uh, that's one of the huge things that tore me apart in this week's chapters is that I can see how for Blythe, she feels like she doesn't have anything to be grateful for. Like it feels like she has lost everything. And so how do you build yourself back up? And I was trying to put myself in her shoes and thinking, would I have been able to find gratitude in any of that? I mean, I think with time you can, but at least at this stage of her grief, it doesn't seem like there's any out no. Um, she has no family. No. It doesn't seem like she has friends. Though before Fox left and they and they ended their marriage, there was a chapter where when they were in the car. Yeah. And then and she had the memory of having of throwing the tissue papers at Sam yeah. whenever he fell down. Oh. oh my god. But Ashley writes it as if this was a process in her mourning. Like this is how she was mourning his passing because she was starting to have these little moments of light of them moving on, which even surprised Blythe. It really surprised her to have have the memory, but to be okay having this intimate moment, just the three of them. Right. (laughs) That part really broke my heart because knowing that you just, that life does keep going and you just have to either move along with it or stay behind and not know how to like go about it is really tough I found that little ritual really touching and uh, I don't know this whole week I just I just I found myself really sad that they had let their relationship obviously the loss of their child was a huge thing but I think they were having a lot of problems well Mm -hmm. before the loss of Sam. Mm-hmm. And I found myself really sad for the way they had let their relationship deteriorate. Mm. She writes, a long exasperated pause before an answer that should be easy to give. Closing the bathroom door when you had always kept it open. Mm-hmm. Bringing home one coffee instead of two. Not asking what the other is going to order in a restaurant. Rolling over to face the window when you hear the other person begin to wake up. Walking just that much further ahead. These slips in behavior are deliberate and noticeable. They eat away at once was. Ooh, I think Ashley Adrain, so she does such a beautiful, mm-hmm. nuanced job of showing us the breakdown of this marriage. Mm-hmm. Those tiny, almost imperceptible actions that add up to the end. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jason and I having a conversation around this when we very first moved in together. I was very aware, having just come from a super toxic relationship, Mm -hmm. that these small little events of disrespect or contemptuous or thoughtless behavior are just like acid that eats away at a relationship. And I wanted to make sure that we were really mindful early on that we always treated our relationship as something super precious and very fragile 
So one of the things that I do every single day, I do this every single day. (laughs) I wake up about three hours earlier than Jason and Doc do. And Jason will text me around 10 a.m. once they're awake. And I'll come into the bedroom and I make such a production (laughs) out of saying good morning to these two and letting them know how happy I am that they're finally awake. We get kisses. I'll sing little songs. (laughs) I do belly rubs. We do cuddles. Like I go I go all out just to let them know how happy I am to see them. Just as a way to like start the day from a place of like gratitude Mm. and just feeling fucking good Mm. and feeling good together. And I know every marriage and relationship is different. So I want to know (laughs) how you and your hubbies bring mindfulness to the daily maintenance and upkeep of your relationship. (laughs) I want to know what cute little things you do to keep the joy and love alive in the everyday. I want you two to gush on your relationships a little. Let's feel good. (laughs) After everything we read this week, let's feel good. Yes, let's bring some love. Yes, please. Well, first of all, Brandy, I love that. I just have this mental <laughs> know, image of you doing adorable. that with Jason and Doc, and it's oh, it's gorgeous. I'd be embarrassed if I had to show you guys. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's did next you, step. I want you to video <laughs> document this. Oh, did you start doing that from the get-go? Like as soon as you ha- guys had this conversation when you moved in, or was it when Doc joined the that family? That started with Doc, which okay. was only a, a month later but yeah doc was definitely the missing piece that was like okay we're a family now like there's three of us well after so many years (laughs) 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 no 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 andrew and i have gone through many phases of how we show each other respect and and unconditional love for one another yeah the one thing that has always been pretty consistent is really how obsessed we are with each other's company Mm. Um, we both love to be with each other every single day. And it's not like we're codependent, but it's that we genuinely enjoy doing things together. Like we are best friends. That's first Mm. and foremost. Let me give you you gals a few examples of what we have done throughout the years to keep in tune with one another and to show each other how much we do love each other. I feel yes, like you're please. about to play like a PowerPoint, like a slideshow. <laughs> Did you She's see me like, scrolling she, down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what is she pulling well, up? Well, because I really love this question. And I started thinking about things that I hadn't really thought about that we actually Aww. do make an attempt to do it all the time without really even thinking that we're doing it. Right. Um, so from the very beginning, and I think I've mentioned it to both of you when I kind of described our first date, that we ended up spending the night together without really getting too physically in tune with one another. <laughs> oh, but, my. But I fell asleep laying my head on his lap and he was just caressing my hair. Oh, I love that. So whenever at nighttime where we're on the couch watching TV or even in bed when we're slowly falling asleep, like I still do that. I still lay on his Aww. lap. He caresses my hair. And now he caresses my armpits because I love how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about him touching my armpits is like very oh soothing God. to me. <laughs> I love that. So that's one. That's weirdly so intimate. You know, I that know. Like, only your partner, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I usually don't even have to say anything. I just like lift my arm up, and there he goes. 
<laughs> Does that make you shave your armpits more often or do you not care? I haven't even thought about that. I think it just... Whoa. I, I, I so now infrequently shave that I would be like, don't go in there. Yeah. No, I <laughs> so don't. So now maybe you're... Okay, okay. Yeah. Next one. Next one. We try our very best to eat dinner together every night, even when he's out of town. We FaceTime each other because he used to travel so much for work. So we either FaceTime or call each other while we're eating dinner, even if it's like a different time zone. Uh, Andrew still continues to do this. He's done it from the very beginning, making sure we have everything we need. And I'm talking about practical stuff. Like, I know we all hate Amazon, but he (laughs) orders paper towels by the bulk through Amazon or he orders toilet paper or just just the practical necessities on a daily that it's to show me that he's there for me and that he wants to make sure that we're going to be okay. He's thinking (laughs) about you guys as a family. yeah. Yeah. That's nice to not have to think about that shit. Yeah, big time. Now, before the pandemic, we both would technically have the weekends off and we would just take one day out of the weekend to just go nuts. And we would walk everywhere, explore a new restaurant, bar, bars, whatever it was. And we would just, it would be like a 12-hour event that we would just be outside living our life. And we would just be so in tune with one another that we didn't want to be with anybody else. And this was just Mm. our thing. Just exploring New York. It's like family time. Yeah. Now this one moment that I will never forget that's actually on tape, (laughs) which I don't think he's actually aware that he does this thing. During our wedding reception, the DJ played Elvis Presley's Can't Keep Falling in Love. Do you guys know that song? Yeah, of course. And as we were dancing, we were holding each other. And the videographer, it it was a close-up pretty much of Andrew. So as we were embracing and dancing, he closed his eyes and he kind of like inhaled me. Like he took like this deep breath. And I I mean, I will never forget seeing that. I don't think he knows that I saw it the way – what? Yeah, right. What he did in that moment. And because of my height – Whenever we hug each other, yeah, I'm right perfectly, like, I nestle myself in his chest, and I can hear him, like, just taking, like, this breath. And that, for me, it's, like, even that's if like he doesn't even know. That's, romantic things but that's, I've ever heard. It's pretty special. <laughs> it's pretty special. And the last thing. <laughs> Once, baby girl, Panara, you two ladies know this, but I wanted to share it with our listeners. I have asked... Andrew to rub the elasticity cream on my belly every night. <laughs> so, um, no wait, I'm not. It just elasticity cream is like the least sexual thing you could say. But Whatever, the act of it hot. is so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> and I and it's actually like I think it's become a moment that I will cherish always because it's bringing the three of us together. Like it's not yeah. only just the two, but it's the three. It's his moment to just be with her and feel her. Yeah. I believe in energy so yes. much, and I feel like your baby must feel him. Like she must I think know. So. Like yeah. that's her dad. I think so. I think oh. so. Oh, God, that's all very sweet. So <laughs> <laughs> that's All right, really... Tia Emma, yeah, bring Tia. us home. <laughs> <laughs> well, this question makes me smile because I think 
I think back to when we were living on opposite sides of the world. Oh my goodness, yeah. When he was still in Italy. And we did that for the first year of our relationship, which just feels crazy. Like, I can't believe that we did that for a year. And as adults. And as adults. Like adults, adults. (laughs) Yeah, and like knowing that we were in love with each other and we were so far apart. So I think we really had to work extra hard to feel connected. Um, so one of my favorite things that we did due to the time zone difference, cause he was six hours ahead, oh, there were only really oh two God. good times of the day that we could talk. One was at 7.15 my time when he was on his lunch break at work. Mm-hmm. So he would wake me up by FaceTiming me every morning and we would talk for his whole hour lunch break. Oh. Um, and it was just like the best way to wake up. Mm-hmm. And the second time was in the middle of the afternoon, my time. If I was working, it was right before I would start my shift at work. And I would FaceTime him and it would be around his dinner time. And so mm-hmm. then we would get like oh. maybe half an hour to talk. And those were the only two times during the day that we could oh my God. talk aside from just texting. Right. And so those moments became... Like, you held on mm. to those moments. You protected you know? them. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And um, so those became really, really special. And, uh, I mean, we could talk for hours, but because, <laughs> you know, we just couldn't because of the time difference. So those those moments were were really, really sweet. And then we haven't really, like, we haven't said this in a long time, but when we first started dating, we used to call each other the other half of our apple. We would say that, like, you're the other half of my apple and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so we would text apple emojis to each other throughout the day (laughs) just as a way of saying that we were thinking about the other one without having to say that. Just, like, the little apple emoji was, like, like the dumbest little thing could bring such a smile, you know. Of course. So, and there were a lot of other, you know, little touches back then. But now that we're living together... Ricardo makes me coffee every morning and usually Aww. brings it to me in bed because I'm Damn. <laughs> I know. Well, He's he like, wakes up a lot up. earlier than I do. <laughs> well, so I'm, honestly, I hope he doesn't hear this episode because I don't tell him this, but he thinks that he's, you know, like waking me up by bringing me coffee in bed, <gasps> but I stay awake. I just, I love the gesture so much and I don't want him to think. To stop. I don't want him to stop it because it's just such a beautiful thing that he does. So he goes upstairs and I'll stay awake and I'll journal or I'll read. I'll do something in bed. And then when I hear him coming, I'll like put it away. And pretend to be asleep. I don't pretend that I'm asleep, but I'm less alert than I am. And then he can come down and be like, good morning. And I'll be like, hi. Just because I love that moment so much, I don't want it to go away. Um. That or, you know, so if I'm awake, cute. awake, he'll still bring it to me and I'll just be yeah, on the couch. Right. But I love that he does that. That is really sweet. And he makes pancakes every Saturday morning. Yes. What? That's our, like, Saturday ritual. He makes the best vegan pancakes. I love and that. And I'm realizing now throughout all of this, there's really, like, not much I do because he's really, <laughs> he does all of the sweet gestures. So I'm like, what the fuck do I do? I think what I do, it's not an everyday thing, but I know how important it is to have, like, a very clean and tidy house. Mm. And I know that he hates ironing. So every now and then I'll go through, a, a, like, a big cleaning 
purge or I'll like take all of his stuff and I'll iron it and then he'll come back and be like you ironed mm. and you know I Aww. think yeah, this is very I, sweet I think for me it's like I, I've always had this fear of becoming like a housewife and so I don't want to yeah. do any of that stuff that makes me feel like one and so he knows that for me like if I'm gonna clean and do the ironing for me that's like okay we're getting into like housewife territory yeah. but, and so he knows that but I do it because I know it makes him happy of so course. I think that's that's a way that I that I give back oh, <laughs> for nice. all of his sweets. I know what a sweet mushy thing. Y'all but this have is nice, such cute relationship. We all do. So do you. But wait, <gasps> ladies, <gasps> we have a listener question. Yeah. 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 This listener question is extra special because it comes from my giving us a listener question. Yeah. Irene's question for us is, do you think most young women have an idealized vision of motherhood? And how do our own mothers shape that? Oof. Oof. That is bold, Mom, to be asking a question about our mothers. Right. Oh. Good luck to you answering, Emma. <laughs> True that. I definitely do think that. <laughs> Especially in my culture, most women have an idealized vision of motherhood. Mm. This is actually exactly why I have so many fears, or I had so many fears going into it. Why I worry if I'm going to be enough, speaking of being enough, (laughs) Mm. if I will be capable of doing it all, and most importantly, providing for my baby girl. Mm. I think deep down inside... This is maybe the main reason why I never thought I would be fully ready to be a mom. I myself crave for perfection on a daily. So how could I possibly ask that of myself and my child? Mm. And again, I come from a family where one of my grandmothers raised three girls and my other grandmother raised two girls and three boys. And my mom dedicated herself completely to me. Yeah. Gave me everything, which in return I am so grateful for. But consequently, I have always worried that I wouldn't be capable to do the same thing. And the thing is, she was just so young and thought it would be the best. It would be best for all her energy to be given to me. Now, my mom and I have had many conversations, especially as of late, of how to go through motherhood and how how I should not how I should be feeling, but how what a a more logical and realistic perspective I should have. Mm. And though she says that she wants to retire to help. Oh, my gosh. Which is crazy because she wants to be with me, with us. But she does make it a point for me to know that I can do it all, that I will not lose myself, that I have the support all the support in the world and that my baby girl will be happy as long as I show her love and take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I think her idealized version of motherhood has changed because she believes in me and knows that I will be a great mom, which is a lot of pressure, but it is. You will. (laughs) And I think her belief in me makes everything okay. And I especially want that for my daughter to one day feel like 
she could do the same, that we can do it yeah. all and we are not perfect. Mistakes will be made and we will just learn from them together. Mm, well said. Um, I love this question. I, I can only speak for myself and my experience in terms of an idealized vision of motherhood. My mom was always very real with us about, I mean, like almost everything. Like when my birthday would come around, not to be a dick or anything, but my mom would definitely talk to me about how difficult birthing me was, like what her pregnancy was like. Like, you know, Mariana, when you said women don't talk about morning sickness, in my mind, I was like, really? Because my mom, like my mom let me know about, (laughs) she let me know how sick she was with me. Uh, And I definitely saw all of my aunt's worked you know while they had even very young kids not even necessarily in jobs that they were happy at just jobs that they needed to do to be able to help support their family so I definitely was surrounded by women who I mean my great-grandma had like 10 kids and took on more kids from the family Mm. who who needed to be you know taken care of and mothered so I was definitely surrounded by women who knew about hard work and who knew about struggle Mm. And I saw that a lot. Um, So I think my vision of motherhood was very different. And so it's interesting to me now all these years later to think about that coupled with the fact that I don't want kids. And I know that Shibli, my sister, does not want kids. And our youngest sister, Chardonnay, also does not want kids. So I, I do think it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, in that context. Mm. Huh. Mm. We definitely saw a, a more, I, I don't want to say a more realistic side because there's a lot of joy in motherhood too. And like my mom and the women in my family definitely talked about that a lot. But it was always very much in conjunction with a more realistic right. side. Uh, and I have cousins who have, you know, children, cousins who love being mothers. So I don't think... I don't think I can say it directly correlates or anything, but I do think it's interesting Mm -hmm. that I feel like we got a very realistic look at that and we're like, not for me. (laughs) It's very interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, To bounce off that, in terms of an idealized vision of motherhood, I do think it depends on the house that you grew up in Mm -hmm. and what you witnessed yourself and what you Mm -hmm. got from your mom, which I think we're getting a pretty clear example of in this book. Mm Mm-hmm. But overall, yes, I think. I realized starting at a young age when playing with baby dolls, the young girl realizes in this role play that the mom is the one who gives comfort and care and is Mm -hmm. the one changing diapers and picking their cute outfits and feeding them. And so I think that young women grow up feeling innately that they are caretakers and can make people feel better. Mm -hmm. Yep. When you hear little girls playing with dolls, you hear things like, it's okay, baby, don't cry. So there is this, like, understanding that that's what moms do. And Mm -hmm. so it seems like it would be easy. Like, oh, my baby's crying and I can just hold them and say it's okay. And then they stop crying. This proverbial, you know, baby doll. Mm -hmm. Great. I can do that. But like I said at the start, I do think it depends on the house you grew up in. So I think our mothers are hugely influential in how we view motherhood. Absolutely. 
But I do also think that it's possible to have an amazing mom who is incredibly loving and warm and you still not want to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So I do want to be clear that I'm not saying that if you don't have that desire to be a mom, that that means that you didn't have a good Mm -hmm. upbringing. Because, like, I know, Brandy, you had a good Mm -hmm. upbringing. She was realistic with you, but your mom was loving. You know, she wasn't. Have a great mom. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, you That's just not in your path. Mm In terms of my mom, my mom lost her mom right before she turned nine. Oh, my my goodness. So I learned as I was older that that had shaped a lot of the way in which my mom wanted to show up as a mother. She was really concerned with being there for my brother and I and made sure that she was around for as much as she could be because she didn't have that. Yeah. Um, Oh, God. Yeah. And so you really, you know, I think... You always have to keep looking back, right? Right. Um, for my personal experience, I don't think that my mom being an amazing mom is what made me want to be a mom. Mm-hmm. But I will say that she has led with such an example of the type of mom I want to be. Compassionate, mm-hmm. supportive, loving, true to herself, independent, working and not losing sight of herself mm-hmm. and her work. I mean, I could go on. Yeah. Um so I do feel really fortunate in that sense that I had a very good example, but I know that she also worked really hard to mm. be that. You know, she expressed to me as she was reading this book, she was remembering that when she decided to go back to work when mm-hmm. I was a baby, that she was having a really hard time with that. There was an article that oh, had just gosh. come out saying how traumatizing it was for babies who were getting care outside of the home. And then it turned out, you know, that people were coming for that author and that article specifically. And then there were other things written since then that proved that to just not be true. Mm-hmm. But she was really ups- – that gave her a lot of grief for a long time, right. you know. Yeah. But I'm so glad that she decided to do that because my mom's work is really important to her. And Absolutely. if she hadn't chosen that, she wouldn't have been the same. Mm-hmm. Well, and you probably wouldn't be who mm -hmm. you are if you hadn't grown up seeing your mom be a fucking rock star mom and have this great career. Yeah. Yeah. Bad a robot, bitch ass robot. We call each other bitch ass robots. (laughs) 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 That's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I loved this question. Yeah, that's such a great question, Irene. We really Thanks, appreciate Thanks, you Mom. and your support, <laughs> Mommy. Well, I did want to bring something up, and I think this is the perfect time to do so because it kind of is related. Okay. I want to retract something that I stated in the last episode. Ooh, oh, okay. Let's hear it. I, to Brandy, the whole morning sickness that women don't talk about it. I truly felt that then that women don't really talk about their real and raw experiences with motherhood. And being pregnant. Over the past week, I have had Zoom calls with three different women. Juliana, which I mentioned to you ladies before, that was a childhood friend that we had lost contact for a while. Mm -hmm. We ended up reconnecting. Awesome. Which is amazing. And she is currently pregnant with her second baby. So we are two besties now in their 30s who met at the ages of five and seven who are now pregnant at the same time, which is wild. So cute. I also spoke to uh, another friend who was a former dance colleague and an actress friend, and both of them are new moms. 
And all three women were perfect examples of the outpouring love and realness I received soon after announcing my pregnancy. Mm. I have had such beautifully real conversations with these three moms, moms that are willing to help and freely and honestly talk about all their emotions that one feels when becoming pregnant and how anxiety can really just like infiltrate the soul. Yeah. And maybe my preconceptions were misconceptions or just antiquated ideas of becoming a mom Hmm. and what it meant for women in general. And this led me to read a little bit more about Ashley Ardrain because (gasps) I wanted to know whether or not she was a mom. Oh, Oh, yeah. She actually has has two two kids, right? Two young kids. Is one of them named Violet? (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. And and actually what prompted her to write this book was a need to find time for herself when she had her first son, who was only six months old at the time. Wow. Wow. In a New York Times article written by Elizabeth Egan, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. She writes, I think I had children because I didn't want to regret not having them. Of course, now I love being a mother, but I love it with the caveat that you can love your children while still having days when you wish you didn't have the responsibilities that come along with them. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody talks about this. And I think it's in the in-between space where most of us live, especially Mm. now. Mm. I think this is so true. And reading this alleviates some of those fears I had previously mentioned. In the push, Ashley said her goal was to explore the expectation society puts on women to have a certain experience of motherhood, for it to look and feel one way. I wanted to hold the mirror up and make people realize how important it is to ask different questions of women they love, to have new conversations with the mothers in their lives. Oh, my God. And that's exactly what's happening now. With Even with us, we started wow. this. More than yeah. ever, I'm so grateful that this is the book that we selected during yeah. this journey of mine. And Oh, good, because I was worried that you <laughs> were taking down a spiral. I know you both did. It actually, Are you okay? Yes, it has <laughs> opened my eyes and prompted me to reach out and have new conversations and ask women, mothers, mothers-to-be different questions. Mm, and I don't think so I cool. would have done so if we really weren't as open and as vulnerable mm. in talking about this because this is this is a very dis- important decision to make and when you're going through it you really want to be as open as possible to be able to express how you're really feeling because if you don't it's a detriment to your soul yeah and that's not yeah. good for your children in the no. long run no oh i'm so glad that you're finding that journey yeah. i think that's yeah. so beautiful that you're having those conversations and, and getting all sides of it all sides. and i think that's like, you know, in the in our first episode, in the first chat in the chapters we read in our first week of this, that's what she was exploring with Blythe when she was a new mom and she was bringing those thoughts up to the other women and no one else would admit exactly. to having those right. feelings. But, exactly. right. you know, we touched on it then. And I think you're that's what you're saying now, too, is mm-hmm. that is such a real part of being a mom. Yeah. And I don't think there should be any shame with that. And not even a mom. I think a dad, too. Parents in general. Yeah, in general. How can you not? How can you not feel that? You know, and and women in general too, because Brandy is expressing like the reasoning behind her not wanting children. Like we all have our perspectives, and 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 because of our upbringing, maybe not, we make these decisions, and mm-hmm. it's okay to have these decisions and these choices because we're yes. all living yeah. our own journey. 
Yeah. Yeah, to tie it back to your question about comparing, you know, this is not an area in which you Mm -hmm. act on comparison. This is where you really have to tap into what do I really want? Yeah. What is my path? Mm -hmm. And you cling the fuck on to that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I'm so happy, Mariana, that you're having that Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like that's a good segue for my question. We've been talking for a while, so let's just get it in. (laughs) Get her done. All right. I noticed in these chapters that the author was using a lot of verbiage around words like fragile or weak, and I found there to be a lot of toying around with the contrast of weakness and strength, mostly in relation to Blythe's perception of herself. Mm -hmm. I find myself pondering that duality in myself often. When do I feel like I'm weak or fragile, and when do I feel strong and powerful? The older I get, the more I find my strength as a woman to be sexy, and I try to hold on tightly to that and present strength as often as I can. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this contrast in your own lives? Do you find yourself leaning in one direction more than the other in certain situations? And how do you navigate around the feelings that come up for you as you're able to call out these opposing sides of yourselves? And specifically for Mommy Mariana. (laughs) Sorry, Brandy. (laughs) Do you feel that... I'm comparing myself. (laughs) (laughs) Not in this situation. (laughs) Do you feel that since you've become a mom-to-be, you've changed perspectives on what these words even mean? And do you feel any differently in this aspect as you're going through a huge life change? Prior to becoming pregnant, I actually took pride in my strength as a woman Mm. because I based it off of my resilience and determination. Knowing what I wanted to be from a very young age, I did not give into the feeling of weakness or to fragility. I actually would wake up every morning ready to fight and not to take no for an answer. Like that Mm -hmm. was very much my... Hmm. That was very much me. When I suffered all my injuries and years of PT, I witnessed how fragile we are as human beings. Hmm. But I also came to break grips with how powerful we are if we are mindful and change our mindset. Things do happen and we can be strong enough to overcome them. It requires a lot of mental athletics, going back to our mind and how powerful it is. And our mind is our first, the first muscle that leads to healing and recovery. Mm-hmm. Now, as a mom-to-be, I have once again been reminded of how physically strong we are as women. Mm. I am basically providing for a little human. I am growing a little human inside of me. A girl that will one day be an exceptional human being. I am doing all that and simultaneously taking care of myself, my husband, my household, and continuing to work on me and my ambitions. Yes, morning sickness made me stop and rest for a bit. But here I I told myself, well, here I am physically weak, but my mind was like, no, 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 you will get through this. Baby girl just needs you to take it easy for a bit. Yeah. But to your question, Emma, I relate feeling weak and fragile to feeling like a failure or simply disappointed in myself. Mm. As of late, these thoughts have crept in every so often, but then I look down and acknowledge that when I am 
what I am currently doing is a blessing and that it is the most important job of my life. I think this is the first time I I actually say this out loud. So it's like, I am strong and will be able to do everything in my power to make it all work, to create a happy and safe life for her. And there's Hmm. a quote in this book that um, Blythe says at one point when she is looking back on Seb, her dad, and how she had sometimes found her as weak. But she then says to herself, the only thing that matters is what you believe about yourself. Going back to what Brandy had brought up previously. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. You are strong and you will do it all. (laughs) Yeah, I think what I heard in that too was this shift that you had to make from one kind of strength to another where you thought that you had to be this like tough go-getter person. And then when you had your injury, you realized that being strong could mean something different. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I underwent that same thing. I feel like early on, I kind of learned just from just from things that kind of happened when I was a kid and responsibilities I had to take on. I feel like I learned that in order to be strong, you had to ignore a lot of things and you had to push down a lot of things in order to just keep Going. going. Yeah, in order to just maintain toughness. And then that facade that you put up for yourself just kind of becomes the your face. It just becomes who you are in the world. You're this tough person who can deal with anything and can put up with anything. And I, I, I'm not sh- totally clear when it happened, but at some point I, I remember asking myself, like, why do you think you have to put up? with anything like why Mm. does that have to be your reality why is that what strength is Mm. and I feel like the more and more I've been doing work on myself Mm -hmm. and working through a lot of issues I've come to realize that strength looks really different for me as it did for you I think strength is vulnerability Mm -hmm. strength is Mm -hmm. flexibility Mm -hmm. strength is being soft you know when you're soft you can take a lot because you 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 know your body can give your emotions can give if you're this tough flint exterior things are going to break as they come at you or you're going to break mm-hmm. but if you're soft you can accept yes. things you can change mm-hmm. you can shift mm-hmm. you can be flexible and move around evolve. um you can evolve yeah so i think the older i've gotten vulnerability is my what I see strength as. You're like meter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that ties too to what Mariana was saying and that, you know, it felt like weakness when you had to stop because of your morning sickness, but your strength Mm -hmm. is to be able to say, that's what my body needs. Mm -hmm. And that's what my, my girl needs. And so it takes, yeah, it takes strength to accept that maybe stopping everything is the best thing. So you can turn that weakness into strength. Mm-hmm. When my own question that I asked you to, it automatically brings me back to the morning that I found out my ex had been cheating on me, which mm. I feel like I don't know why that has come up more often in these last episodes. And I hope it doesn't keep coming up, but it's interesting. Well, that- it has to be because of what's going on in this book, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that's like something I don't really think about that often, but I feel like I've been talking about mm-hmm. it more recently with these episodes 
Um, so in that instance, I found out half an hour before I had to leave to go to work that oh my that's God. when I found out. And I tried calling out, which I never did. Mm. But I was like, there's no way I can go to work in this state because I was a mess. So I tried calling out, but my manager said she already had too many call outs for the day and said that she really needed me to come in. So I said, fine, but you have to put me outside on the patio and I'm going to wear my sunglasses the whole shift. (laughs) (laughs) She said, okay. So I went in. And I had to pull myself together for the whole subway, subway ride to work. And I got there and I told all my coworkers to not talk to me so that I could get through the shift because I knew as soon as someone like asked me what was wrong or hugged me, I would fall apart. And I was like, we can't, there's no space for that here. Um, But then the second my shift ended, I broke down. In the moments when I had found out the news, I felt incredibly weak and fragile. And I felt like I was one of those women who hadn't seen the signs or I had messed up somewhere. And then in working just hours later, I realized that I had enormous strength in a moment of complete weakness Mm. and realized that both can be true at the same time. Very similar to what we're saying now. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something incredibly empowering in finding strength when it feels least accessible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm And the moments when I feel the most weak are the moments when I'm comparing myself to others. <laughs> or, <laughs> or when I'm whining about the adult things I need to do. <laughs> the ladies laugh because I literally, before this phone call, was crying about the adult actual tears, crying about adult things that I need to do. And so that makes me feel like, get it together, Emma. Or when I speak something that's not true to me, giving mm-hmm. into what I think is expected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do strongly believe that women are stronger than we give ourselves credit for. And the more we can own our strength and accept that to be true and know that to be true, I we're going to run the world. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I think to add on to that, the, the more we can accept that our definition of strength can be different from yes. a male definition. Yes. Or, you know what I mean? Yes. Like a, whatever the perceived physical. definition of that. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't, doesn't have just to be the societal definition. Right. Yes, yeah. of course. It doesn't. Yeah. Because I know a lot of strong women that never had kids. Right. And they're kicking ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I may be talking about you, Brandy. (laughs) We we really didn't talk about the moment at the mom's group. Oh, my God. When Blythe sees. I mean, Mariana, you mentioned it in in the posing of your question. But I feel like we have to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um. So wait, I'm curious though, because Mariana, you said that that's something you probably would have done. Like, do you both think that you would have gone through with that? Like, would you have like gotten a wig and like pretended you were someone else? I want to know. I don't know if I would have gone to the extent of getting a wig and pretended to be someone else, but I would have definitely confronted her if I was never introduced to her. Like, I think I would have gone, because I'm not a confrontational person, but I think at that point I would want to know who this woman is. For myself. And do you you think that you would admit who you were or would you make a fake identity? Mm. Or would you be like, hi, I'm the woman 
that you It's so difficult to think about this too, though, because we have social media and it seems like they don't, right? Like it doesn't seem like social media is a thing in this world. That's a really good point. Because now I could stalk this person online and they would never have to see my face. Yeah. Yeah. But again, the image that you have on social media might not necessarily be who you are in real life. Totally. But that would be your first step, undeniably. <laughs> oh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a good point. It is. I have to think, though, that my first fight, my my fight to find out who this other woman is or was, would have to be with my husband. I was shocked at how easily she let him get away with not telling her who the fuck this person is. But what is interesting, too, though, is when she witnessed her mom leaving her father, mm. she questioned her father's strength and said that he was a weak yeah. man and that why didn't st- he stick up for their family and actually oh. try to stop her. Right. And now she basically didn't Has really stop him. Wow, interesting. I missed that. But I don't yeah, know I if that. it was really like the like she wasn't willing to do it. I think she just there wasn't anything left there. Like the love was gone and it was just it wasn't about him anymore. It was just trying to figure out who this woman was that pretty much took him away from her in a way. Even though he's the one that did it. But you know what I mean. And just that feeling of like just how do you get through each day? Just how do you move yeah. forward? I mean, that's the thing that really stuck with me in the end. You know, it's just like you realize that she's now, she's just in this cycle. She's in this routine. And like mm-hmm. you're just trying to get through day by day. I mean, that last sentence had me in tears. This might sound really dark, but I did have this, I do have this question. We do find out that she ultimately somehow leaves or abandons her her family because Violet is with Fox, right? At the end. Or at least they are doing they are sharing custody from They're what we know custody. from what we know now. Yeah. But the way the right. book starts, it seems like she's very much detached to Violet just because Violet is in their house. I mean, but there was a part of me because of what her grandmother did and because Mm. of all the trauma that she's been through and she's trying to move on and grappling with everything that has happened. Do you think she ultimately like, this is something that Fox is now reading, but she ended up committing suicide. Like this is her suicide note. Mm -hmm. I know that's very, very dark, but I had that that oh, came to me Lord. because I don't know how a woman can go through all. It's just it's so I know, it's much. a lot. And she has nothing left. Yes. But I like I do want to say that like there are women that go through this and they do oh, move sh- forward. So, yes, sure. like it's hard to think about it. But I do want to leave this space for that. You know, I think yeah. it's terrible, but people have gone through this and and you, and you just do. And I you. think you get a support system and you go to therapy and with time you can start to heal but right now yeah you were definitely in the throes of like this is never going to be okay. I keep having the question of whether cuz the thought had occurred to me similar to you Mariana like is she coming 
here for the last time before she kills herself or something to leave him this manuscript or this story, whatever it is. But then I also, a part of me is torn and I wonder if Violet isn't going to do something. Like, I, I wonder if... Oh, boy. I wonder if this isn't her trying to warn him, warn Fox, saying, like, you still don't know her, really. She puts on his face for you. Mm-hmm. And he still won't listen. But is this book going to end with him finally getting the proof that Violet is not who she th- who he thinks she is? By doing what? You don't think that she's going to do something to Fox? Or to the other boy? I think she could do something child. to the other child. Or there have been several little stories of her doing things to kids at school. Even Fox's mom came home one day and said that mm-hmm. Violet had had a really rough day at school and she wouldn't play mm-hmm. with the other kids. You know, something. It seems like whatever's going on at school is a very different thing from what goes on with Violet when she's at home with Fox. So I did wonder, is is she going to do something to finally prove Blythe correct? I don't know, but I'm ready to go finish the book now so I can find out because I, I really want to know how this ends. I know. I'm, I'm dreading it and looking forward to it. I know. One more tiny little thing that I have to bring up because we didn't talk about it is this moment in the diner. When uh, after Blythe's mom has left and she's at the diner with Mrs. Ellington Mm -hmm. and she sees her mom with Richard, the other man, and her mom is this totally different person and has a totally different voice. And I I could feel her pain in this moment Mm. and how sad that must be to to know that your mom is happier without you. But I also felt so much empathy or sympathy for her mom (laughs) when I realized like, oh, like she's actually being true to herself now. Like now she's actually living her true life and she's happy. And maybe that's actually her voice. And maybe that's been her real voice all Mm -hmm. along. Maybe the fake voice was the one she had at home. Yeah. Oh, it killed me. It killed me. Ladies, are we ready for a final question? I guess so. Yeah, I am. I've got a good one. It's it's a cute one. Okay, (laughs) Okay. good. Along the lines of my earlier question, I'm curious. Are you ladies familiar with the five love languages? Yes. (laughs) So for our listeners who don't know what they are, they are words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, acts of service, and receiving gifts. Mm. And the idea is that... For each of us, one of these is kind of the dominant way that we feel and receive love from our spouse or significant other. Mm. So I'm curious, what is your love language? And I also want to know, do you know your partner's love language? Yeah. My love language, (laughs) (laughs) my primary love language is acts of service, but quality time is my secondary. Oh, and Ricardo's primary is quality time, and Aww. his secondary is physical touch. Oh, damn! You got in there with those secondaries. Yeah. That's yeah. a thing. <laughs> I get it. I hear you. Well, going along those lines, my primary is words of affection, and my Aww. I think my secondary is physical touch. Ah, Andrews, all the way acts of service. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, mine are definitely, mine is definitely acts of service. If you can take something off my plate, oh, you've got something to come <laughs> And for Jason, I think it's, I think his primary is quality time, but then physical touch is definitely like a close secondary. Oh, he mm. and Ricardo would be great together. Yeah. <laughs> we got to get those two together. They speak each other's language. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> oh, oh, that cool. could be a happy, happy relationship. Oh, gosh. all right y'all well thank you all so much for listening if you have an insight or a question you'd like us to discuss on an episode shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment heads up this is your last chance before season one ends email us right now yes A very special shout out to one of our new followers and listeners at Paradise is an Open Book. Great name. I know, right? And as well as at Gabby's, Gabby's Gabby's.bookshelf. We appreciate all the love you've shown us lately. Gracias. And to at Wildflower.reader for getting on the bandwagon too. So much love to go around. Yes. Well, next week, it's no surprise. We'll be reading to the end of the book. Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing for our final episode of the season. So that you too can read along and sip along with us. Because it's it's always always happy happy hour hour here. Here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Love you, ladies. Bye, love you guys.